0: of 2 Peter this morning. Personal goal is to never wonder if the life lived his faith is worth it. I think we'll see that articulated in, in the weeks ahead as we move forward. Uh, in verse 2, and we're going to come back and pick up the entire text in just a moment, but verse 2 says that in Christ we've been called to real life and we've been called to godliness. Verse 5, as to that... That's some things that we need to be about. Some things that we need to be becoming. And so, verse 8 says this. It says, for if these things are yours and about, you will never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, if you understand that word knowledge, in relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ, that your life will be fruitful out of the very relationship of Jesus Christ. I think it's it's safe to say that, that pretty much everyone I know wants to live a fruitful life. None of us wants to simply go through the motions. We all want to know that we matter. We all want to make a difference. And I say that only as a general rule, because every once in a while we come across those individuals who, for whatever reason, either don't just care, or don't don't care at all, or somehow they're on a mission to mess things up. But as a a general rule, people seem to have an innate desire to know that their lives have mattered to someone in the big picture, that someone will recognize and value their contribution. A recent revelation to me centers around my own mom uh, in the last few months. You know, uh, my mom always had a couple of initiatives that drove her. Uh, One of those initiatives uh, has been, when you have your health, you have everything. A second initiative, and, and this is a huge one for her, the only thing I ever wanted in life was to be a good mom. Now, those are great goals. I mean, they're noble goals. I, I salute my mom, and I think she's done an incredible job in many ways. However, I see some major flaws in living by those two philosophies. She's now 87 years old. Her, fa- her health is beginning to fail, and if your health is everything and you lose that, then what do you have and truth be known, there are great stories told of people who didn't have their health, and God used them in mighty ways. They were driven by purpose. And, and mom, if your greatest goal is to to be a great mom, what do you do when your kids have grown up and gone? What do you have? Left And truth be told, I've known people who at the threshold of their kids' departure have gone on to experience some of the greatest moments of their lives. Now, this was highlighted for me a few weeks back. where I was in a discussion with the pastors, uh, the EMA, eight churches in town, that we fellowship together. We do some really awesome stuff together. We're friends. We pray for each other. And we were talking about what can we do to better meet the needs of widows in Esther's Park. And in the course of that discussion, one of the things that was highlighted as being the biggest struggle that widows face is a sense of purpose. Wow. People want to know that their lives matter. They want to make valuable contributions. So I like a story that dates back to July 2nd, 1982, a man named Larry Walters, he was just an ordinary retired man living in the outskirts of Los Angeles. and He was happy to kind of sit in his lawn chair and soak up the sun every day until one day he got bored. And so he came up with this crazy idea that maybe he could tie helium balloons onto his lawn chair and float out over the Mojave Desert. So he went to the local army surplus store. He bought 40 weather balloons a tank of helium, rope, stakes, and a parachute, tethered his launcher to the ground while he attached the helium balloons, and then he sat down, surrounding himself with sandwiches, with, with water, with his parachute, and a pellet gun. Everything was going right. <laughs> Until he cut the tether. You know, he thought maybe he'd float up 25 feet, 100 feet at the most, you know, be a pleasant ride, But no, he shot up into the sky like a rocket. And the winds didn't carry him eastward over the Mojave. No, when he finally leveled out, he found himself at 16,000 feet above Long Beach. Right in the flight path of LAX airport. Yeah, a pilot's reported to have called in to the tower. I haven't been drinking, but I swear, I just flew past a, fly, a man in a flying lawn chair. <laughs> so finally, Larry was able to get his breath. He picked up his pellet gun off his lap, and he took out a few balloons, which allowed his gradual descent, only to find himself tangled up in, in some power lines. But he was OK. Yeah, uh, you know, the FAA ended up finding him some $4,000. But the big deal in the story is this. He was asked the question, Mr. Walters, why would you do such a thing? And his classic answer was this, you just can't sit there. (laughs) Yeah, check it out. Look it up on stokes. go ahead, treat and fix it. Fine, add to the story, because it's true. You can't just sit there, and to that, our text today centers around two things that Peter has for us. One is something to know, and two, some things that we need to be about. But before we get there, I need you to hold that thought, because I need to do a brief introduction to 2 Peter. In, in and comparing it to 1 Peter, which we just finished. 1 Peter was written before the Roman emperor, emperor Nero intensified his mad persecution of Christians. 2 Peter was written right in the thick of that persecution. 1 Peter was written to encourage believers who were suffering for their faith. 2 Peter was written to address problems that were happening in the church. It's a call to us to be aware that there are false teachers who want to infiltrate the church. It calls us to hold on to our faith in the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the authority of God's word, and that's going to be a huge, huge piece next week. You'll want to hear this teaching. And then uh, finally, holding on to the hope of Christ's return. So this brings us now to verse 1, for. Second Peter starts off, uh, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see those words, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see those words, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what's in the word of god jesus god in the flesh but it's interesting because peter begins began his his first book by calling himself an apostle of jesus christ now he begins by calling himself a bond servant first and an apostle second maybe says something about a change of heart in peter that if he's going to lead he must be a servant first he also begins here in the first book uh, he called himself Peter which is the name that Jesus gave him, a stone. But here he begins with his birth name Simon Peter. And I have to wonder if maybe Peter at this point of his life is remembering what he was before Jesus got a hold of his life. And it's a very valuable application to all of us today. Never forget what you would be if Jesus hadn't gotten a hold of your life. Remember that always. And when you walk through the world, the question about why do people do those things they do will never be a factor because you'll know they need to know the Jesus that you know. Don't forget. So moving on to verse 2, we now begin our teaching, something to know. And there are two words that, that we need to spend some time on. The first word is this word, Knowledge and I need you to notice it twice in verse two and once in verse eight. But before I get there, back to that thing where Jesus talks or where Peter talks about Jesus being God in verse one. Notice here in verse two, he clarifies that Jesus is a part of the Trinity. Now let's read this: Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has been given to has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who I'm emphasizing these words on purpose, called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through the flesh. So this word knowledge, epignosis, it's not simply about an intellectual awareness. It's not about theoretical understanding. This is about relationships. Did you notice a a moment ago when the shots were doing the Advent reading that in, in their reading, it said that Joseph didn't know her? until after the baby was born. Did you notice that? Same word. They are engaged. Did they know each other? Yes. They just didn't know each other intimately. This is about relationships. As believers, we are not merely called to know about God and say, yeah, we believe that there is a God. We are called to really know God and be known by God. That's the emphasis of this word, epignosis. It's in knowing that we are given this divine power, the word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite, and that begins to work in our lives, teaching us, here we go, this is where we started, the very purpose of our existence, God's intention and plan for our lives. It begins with a relationship with him. So my first question to you this morning, do you know him? Do you really know him? Or do you just know about him? And do you pride yourself in saying, I believe in him? Do you walk with him? Does he know you? Very important. If you want to know your purpose in life, begin by knowing him. Man's chief end to glorify God and, and to enjoy him forever. It's about relationship. All begins that day when you hear him knocking at the door of your life, and you open the door and you say, Lord, come in, but not on my terms, on your terms, because if you really are God, then you deserve to have full reign that I will subject myself to you. This is what believing is all about, right? You can't say you believe and not accept him for who he is. Come into my life, Lord. I invite you in and you begin to make me the person that you want me. So this takes us to the second thing to know. Out of this relationship with God, out of this epignosis, there's now this calling, and I highlighted that when we're reading through it. It's in verse 3 and verse 10. You, out of relationship with God, have a calling on your life. It's due to God's own glory. It's due to God's goodness. Now notice them in verse four. One, he has called you to enjoy his exceedingly great, that's the Greek word, Megas, I love that word, mega, right? Exceedingly great. And precious, that means expensive, valuable, right? Yeah, I can't believe some of the diamonds that are being advertised during the Christmas season. Yeah, how many of us are gonna go out and buy? I better not say it, I might have to do it myself. (laughs) Secondly, he has called you to become a partaker in his divine nature. He wants to transform you into his image. And third, he has called you to escape the corruption of the world that's being brought on by lust. Now I have to stop right there and have to make some comments as to what's going on in the world. He called you to escape the corruption of this world that is being brought on by lust. And in man's emptiness in the whole of man's heart, we want to create laws that validate our sin. Our need to give in to the flesh. But you need to hear it. It was for the flesh, the corruption of the flesh, that Jesus died. And if we continue to pass laws to pat everybody back on the back and say it's okay, it's no longer sin, we're only causing the void to scream all the louder. It will never be satisfied. All the approval in the world cannot take God's rightful place in your life. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say it to be cruel. I have my own struggles with the flesh, but I'm not going to stand up here and pamper you and say, it's okay. You really don't need a savior because these are the things that point us to our need of Jesus Christ. It's all right there. But I really like this part about this mega and valuable promise of God. Awesome. Can we just think about that a moment? I mean, this is huge. What a great promise to hold on to in these last days. What a great promise to hold on to during this Christmas season. Because it doesn't matter what's under that Christmas tree. It's all dwarfed when you think about God's enormous and extremely expensive promise. Promises. (laughs) Promises. <laughs> I like to hear that. Believe for that. This world is not my home. I'm just the passing through. My riches, they're laid up somewhere beyond the blue. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what we say. You know, people ask me if my heart's desire for my daughters is for them to get married someday and have family. You know, yeah, sure, that's, that's a small part. Of, of, of my desire for them, but I have a greater desire for them. My greater desire for my daughters is that they will acknowledge this, the God and creator of the universe, which is the beginning of the place where they'll understand his purpose for their lives, and out of that, the rest will be taken care of according to God's plan. So I have to read this to you. This is 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 20. Listen, let this just feed your soul this morning. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both in you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mega. Invaluable promise. Do you want a life that counts? It really begins by knowing God. It's not going to be found in health. It's not going to be found in wealth. It's not going to be found in fame or family. It's not going to be found in satisfied in flesh which will not be satisfied, it's in this business of epignosco, epignosis in a relationship with God. It's truly to know the God of the universe and understand his plan for your life, which is about glorifying him and showing others God is alive, not with your words, but with your life. And friends, that is a purpose that will get you out of bed every day until that day when at last you fall asleep one more time to wake up and find yourself in glory. That's what we're talking about, yeah. All right, let's go on to verse five. So a relationship that leads to calling. You got it? Yes. (laughs) You want me to back up and go over that again? (laughs) Let's go on. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Here we are, in this relationship to your Lord. Out of that relationship, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but I need you to understand that this is about how that plays out in the everyday life, that you'll be neither daring nor unfruitful. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So some things to be about right here. In light of everything we've just seen, in light of this relationship, this epignosis, right, Peter now calls us to give due diligence to be about some things. And the word diligent is really an idiom that's being used here. And by way of application, it looks like this. It's a call to anyone who will hear. Now watch this wording here. A call to anyone who will hear to bring every personal effort alongside of the greater work That God has already begun doing and is doing. See, it's about you getting your heart in the game. It's about you running with perseverance. It's about you not wasting a minute. It's about you putting your best foot forward and to do it with haste, do it with eagerness, do it with determination. It fits beautifully with what Paul says when he said, Work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You see the cooperation going on here. This is what this is all about. I love little babies. I love little babies. I am the baby meister. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who the little guy was that was crying during communion. Did you hear it? It was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, there are churches that wish they had little babies crying in church. We've got them right here. I like to take little babies and press their heads against them like a sheet. I love the warmth of a little baby. The amazing thing about little babies is that little babies come equipped with everything they need to grow up healthy and strong. But even though they have everything they need, that end result isn't guaranteed. See, they need to have parents who will be diligent, making every effort to come alongside with what they know that child already has in order to nurture those qualities to ensure that child's success. But there comes a point where that child has to make a decision. What am I going to do with what's been given to me? It's the same way in the body. See, we come to faith. God gives us everything we need to grow up healthy and strong in that faith. The body has a responsibility to give due diligence to help those new believers to grow up strong. But there comes a point when that new believer has to recognize, what am I going to do with what God has begun doing in this life? It's about coming alongside the greater work that God has begun doing. So starting in verse 5, Peter calls all of us with due (coughs) diligence to be about some things. The assumption here is that faith is already working in your life, So your relationship through faith becomes the foundation through which all of this is built. And based upon that, we're now given some things we are to work on. These are not, you've got to hear my emphasis and distinctions here. These are not the basis of your new life, but these are fruits of your new life. This is evidence that God is working in you. He even goes so far as to say, if you want to live a fruitful life, if you want to live a life that matters then this is what you need to be thinking about so here we go, let's walk through these things the first one is virtue in verse 5 virtue includes courage yeah, that's right, courage it's a willingness to do the right thing and even to stand alone if necessary virtue, second one Knowledge, we've been talking about this word right along, and I hope you heard the word intimacy in there. I try to avoid the word intimacy because guys just kind of go, ew, you know, kind of thing, whatever. <laughs> but listen, it was it, it, it's the relationship of a man and a woman that brings forth future generations. It's that intimacy that brings forth fruit. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about intimacy with God that has results. Okay, that's what that word knowledge is all about. Then self-control. This is the capacity to say no. It's the it's the place where we refuse to give in to every indulgence, because as believers, we will only have one master. We will not be mastered by money, or by lust, or by power, or by food, or by drink, or intoxicants, or work, we go on and on. We are not to have any other gods, that's self-control, nothing else that uh, that uh, pushes our lives, that, that we surrender to, we give in to. Uh, continuing on in verse 6, perseverance. This is our favorite one around here because this is all eyes on Jesus. Running with perseverance, the race marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's a, it's a patient endurance that keeps us from wandering and keeps us from getting knocked off the path. Then godliness. Now, right here at godliness, we see three loves that, that that stand out. Godliness is the first one because this is the right attitude. This is about the right attitude toward God and toward others. It's really founded in the two great commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength; love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that is godliness. Okay. Some of you were raised in these churches that suggested that godliness was the way you dressed. Right. And I have to tell you as your pastor that the people I've heard preach holiness the strongest are some of the most unloving people I've ever met. Let godliness manifest itself in one way. Your love for God and your love for others. Yeah. Sixth one, brotherly kindness. This is that word phileo that we see so often in Philadelphia. This is about treating other people the way you wish other people would treat you and treat other people regardless of what they do. That's really what that's about. Yeah. Then this word love, which is the word agape. Uh, So love, love, love. Godliness is love. Brotherly kindness is love. And then we have the official Uh, the the highest kind of love, which is the word agape. This is the will to love. This is about laying your life down for others, even when they're at their worst. This is the kind of love alone that will glorify God. So there's, there's the list. There's the list. But I'm glad that Peter prefaced all this with faith because with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible to him who believes. Okay, so, now, what's, the, what's driving all this? What's going on here? Well, we don't do it to impress God. We don't do these things to win God's improve, approval. In fact, we can't even begin to do these things unless God's spirit is already at work in our lives. Because the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit who empowers us to begin living out these type of things. But we must determine, must determine that we're going to work with God, allow God to do his work with our cooperation, giving due diligence and understanding what he wants from us. Wow. Are you getting this? Something to know? A relationship that results in a calling and some things to be about, really, fruits of the Spirit, these things we don't do, well, we'll see it here in just a moment, so we'll let me get ahead of myself. <clears throat> but we saw we don't do it in the way to God's approval, but these are the things that glorify God. Let's finish the text. Watch this. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An entrance made available to you into the everlasting kingdom. Now reading that, look at what it said there. Does this mean that your hope of salvation is in jeopardy? Is that what this is saying? Is it a jeopardy, a jeopardy that depends upon you doing enough of the right thing? Is that what this is saying right here? No. But what it's saying is that these things and the desire to do them is evidence. They are the evidence that God's Spirit truly is at work in your life. Now hear this. Very important statement. God doesn't save us simply to guarantee us a place in his kingdom. That's not what this is all about. God saves us so that we can become living testimonies of his glory and his goodness. That's what this is all about. And that is a purpose that will keep you getting out of bed every day, until the day you wake up and you find yourself in glory. So there's the beginning of 2 Peter, a proper relationship that leads to a proper calling. Next week we need to talk about the foundation of all. So, right now, let's just pause right here. Consider this. Where are you in relationship to the Lord? Honestly, between you and God, where are you? I don't have a relationship. I realize I need a relationship. I have a relationship. Where are you? And where would you like to be? And if you said, I have a relationship, how is that relationship affecting your decisions each day, affecting your sense of purpose? Lord, just search our hearts and know us.